0: Israel Gutierrez, Sarah Spain, Tim Kalashuk, Clinton, Yates. Now that is a battle. After everything last Sunday, the Minnesota Vikings, underdogs at home versus the Cowboys? What did the Vikings do to get this disrespect? <laughs> Let's go. Seriously, Kalashuk. <laughs> Your Cowboys just blew a 14 point lead. They just oh, beat no, the Bills. I don't get this. I don't get Vikings, you people. Vikings hosting Dallas Sunday, Minnesota. Eight and one. Again, coming off the best win of the season at Buffalo. And they are the underdogs to Dallas. Coming off the upshot versus Green Bay. It's not like they're playing the 85 Bears here, people. So the disrespect there, but of course, that's just gambling. How this Cowboys defense goes after Justin Jefferson. Dalvin Cook and Kirk Cousins in this game. And what Dak Prescott can do against the Minnesota defense that flustered Josh Allen last week. Sarah Spain around the horn to you. Should Minnesota feel disrespected?
1: They will because of their record, and they obviously believe in themselves. But if you look at what happens during the game before the W or the L is finalized, the Vikings have not been demonstrably better than a lot of the losing teams that they've eked past by one score. They don't have a lot of impressive wins. The Bills Mm. won, absolutely. Josh Allen, Mm. not 100%, but you got that. The only winning team you've beaten is the Dolphins without Tua. Everything else is losing teams. If you look at DVOA, the Cowboys are the fourth best in the NFL. The Vikings are seventeen.
0: The books are oh, looking at oh, whether okay. they Excuse me for one second. Sarah Spain, I was under the impression you were chastened from last, by last week when you said the Vikings are terrible. They have nothing. They're overrated, and they go out and be— I thought you would be coming I mean, here to praise the Vikings. say that. I said I
1: wasn't impressed by them. Their wins have been against bad teams. <laughs> and you're and saying yes, that again now the after
0: they beat the Bills last week.
1: Okay, well, if you beat the Bills, I guess that means that everything you've ever said about them and what your eyes tell you about them on the field means nothing, because that's not how I watch football.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. Tim Kalisha, have you come to praise the Vikings, or are they being disrespected by this line, underdogs to Dallas? Not much
2: more praise than Sarah just gave them. Let me give you uh, the numbers in their winning streak, their, their margin of victory in this seven game winning streak, Tony 437 8833. Sounds like some late night phone number for air conditioning uh, okay. repair, but that's right. how much that's they funny. win these games by. They don't win by much, and I was going to throw a little deviate o a at you because nothing I like better than a defense-adjusted whatever. Discussion. <laughs> but the Cowboys are better at it, and here's the. But the thing is, the Cowboys did it. They're coming off a bad game. I'll give you, you that. But I'm not surprised they're favored. I'm not surprised they're favored. Minnesota. Hasn't really done much. I'm hearing advice. that. I keep Winston on hearing game.
0: that. All they do is win. It's such a travesty that they win all their games. All right? How about you, Clint Yates? This is unbelievable to me. Yes, I realize that it's been
3: a total of 35 points they've beaten all their opponents by, but they've won <laughs> the football games. I'm not sure what else there is to say about this. It's not like the Dallas Cowboys are setting the world on fire. Dak Prescott's QBR isn't any higher than Cooper Rush, who, by the way, was the quarterback when they beat them last year. It wasn't even the same guy. They don't need to feel disrespected. You can just be confused by what is presented in front of the field. I don't get this at all. I think the Vikings are going to win this game, and I think that they're right now, frankly, a better football team and as it well. Is Gutierrez.
4: Yeah, I don't go to DVOA too often. I know the IZZY rankings say the Vikings have been <laughs> underperforming, <laughs> and doing so while still winning, and so they can actually perform to where you think they can, where you think they are. I mean, last week against the Bills, 480 yards of offense. You know, the week before that, against the Commanders, a Commanders team who just beat the Eagles, uh, they win. Yes, they needed a fourth quarter to do it, but they won anyway. And so, yes, I, I have uh, con- some concerns in this game. If their, you know, left tackle doesn't get out of concussion protocol, it's going to be a problem. He's Pro Football Focus's highest-rated offensive lineman. Period. So, against the Dallas Cowboys, if he's not playing, I think it might be a disaster for the Vikings. But what the Vikings have done so far is do what's necessary to win. And I believe, obviously, they have the talent. You look at Dallas, uh, Dalvin Cook and Justin Jefferson, game breakers. Yeah. I, I think they find ways to win, and against this Dallas team, they absolutely can, because they just lost to the Packers, and we saw what the Packers were last
0: Sarah, week. it's my honor to go back to you, because I don't want to have a disconnect <laughs> here, right? I, I don't want you to think the Vikings are the best team of all time. I just want to know if they should be respected differently after winning last week's game over Buffalo when they host the Cowboys this week.
1: I agree. And like I said, they will feel disrespected. And if you're a fan of the Vikings, you'll feel disrespected. But and and I do see a way for them to win this game. Mm-hmm. If Dalvin Cook is effective, if Justin Jefferson tears up that secondary, if Dak Prescott continues to have some issues, I could see that I can also see a game where the team that brings the second most pressure eats up Kirk Cousins, who's twenty-fifth in QBR nice. and like thirtieth in completion percentage against pressure. There are moments in this game that could be game changing because of Parsons and that front. And that's what I see when I look at this matchup. A better overall team in the Cowboys than the team I think the Vikings are, regardless of record.
0: Tim Kalisha, how will this game be won?
2: As the only panelist uh, getting sixty percent of his picks against the line right in an actual. I believe newspaper. it's fifty-eight percent actually. Won. I think you just this game will be I think won, won by the Cowboys. <laughs> this will be won if I get a moment here, clear the stage. They'll be won by the Cowboys pass rush as they beat the Rams and the Bengals to do that. The offense has to be much better than it's been. Dak has to be better, and they got to slow down. All Mr.
0: right, Pitt. we'll go to the paper. Fifty-eight percent. We'll move on. Last night, Titans twenty-seven, <laughs> Packers seventeen. Is this the end of the Packers? Seven losses, and with Miss Minnesota so far ahead in the division, that division could be settled next week. So, Rodgers said last night he takes blame for some of the bad throws he had. Israel, you think it's fair to blame Rodgers for last night and maybe more in this? Packers lost season.
4: I think it's fair to blame him for his part because as we see with this team like last week with Aaron uh, Jones running all over the Cowboys this week uh, Titans took him away and normally you could rely on Aaron Rodgers to sort of make up for that. And he just didn't. And he was off with some, whether you call it the thumb, whether you call it the wind, whatever, he was just off. And, you know, you start looking and start looking at the dates that he's thrown 300-yard games, and the last time was against the only team he owns, apparently, is the Chicago Bears, of December 12th of last season. And so if he's not going to be able to carry you game by game, then what do you have really in Aaron Rodgers there? So you look at the big picture. Last night kind of shows you, yeah, the, the Cowboys game notwithstanding, this team... 5% chance of making the playoffs, just not that good.
0: Tim Calashaw is the only panelist who was 100% right on this game yesterday. Please.
2: <laughs> hmm. Yeah, I, I think uh, Tennessee is really the story here. The Packers are done. I would concur with that. But let me, Ryan Tannehill, his NFL career got off to a, a soft opening. I will admit that in Miami. <laughs> but since he got to Tennessee, 36 and 15 in the games that he has started, that's like three 12 and 5 seasons. That's pretty good. They they were much better last night. He had 80% of his passes. The wind wasn't a problem for him. And Traylon Burks had his first big game as a rookie.
0: I think that's something to watch for the Titans. Clinton Yates, Titans win, gets them to 7-3. and three. You taking that seriously? Is that for real? Yeah, I'm, I'm taking it seriously. I mean, Tannehill is a guy, we use
3: this word and we act like it's some sort of an insult, but he's one of the best game managers in the league right now in terms of how he gets the ability of the Titans to win games. Now, I'm taking them seriously in the context that I think this is a playoff team and I think they can win a game in the playoffs. However, I just don't think that their ceiling, their talent is that high when it comes to better opponents. So they're doing well. Vrabel's got that team in a good position. But overall, this doesn't feel like a
0: Super Bowl team just yet. And Sarah Spain, a takeaway from last night.
1: Yeah, I mean, what you've said about the Titans is right, and we underestimated their ability to keep this core together and win games, which they have. But this is a team that had a decimated secondary, and Aaron Rodgers couldn't do anything against it. Last four drives of the game when he usually comes up big, 8 of 16 for 60 yards. Jones was ineffective. Their secondary got ripped up by a guy in Tannehill who we often say can't get it done and everything's about Derrick Henry. Well, he did with his receivers. Mm -hmm. So it's a joint effort from this Packers team. But in the past when everybody else hasn't been able to step up, Aaron Rodgers has. And this season he hasn't. So obviously he's a big part of the blame. When you're putting together this recipe, you anticipate him being the centerpiece. And if he's not there, you ain't got much. And that
0: is then a, a funereal tone for you on this Packers team, Sarah?
1: Perhaps. Perhaps. I have a eulogy, partly written, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. ready to be finalized.
0: <laughs> okay, you're enjoying that quite a bit. We'll move on. NBA now. Add the story of the night to our headlines here. Kawhi Leonard's return to the court. Played 25 minutes for the Clippers Had six points. Clippers, 96, Pistons, 91. Kind of an ugly game at the arena. Still currently called crypto. Who knows how long? I saw that result, by the way, on a website still currently called Twitter. Who knows how long? (laughs) Clinton Yates, what did you see from Kawhi last night? How optimistic are you? He can get back to where he needs to be. Man,
3: Tony, I'm never going to forget where I was. When Kawhi Leonard was upgraded from doubtful to questionable and then showed up and scored a couple points okay. in 25 minutes of the right. game. I mean, come all on. Right. I'm sorry. At this point, what we're getting from Kawhi Leonard is nowhere close to what was advertised. And until I see him lighting up the league, which he's been waiting seasons to do, I'm not convinced this Clippers team is going to be a ton better just worrying about him at all times. I mean, sure, it's good to see him on the court. I'm happy for him. But the status of that knee has not improved as evidenced by his ability to get on the court and play at all, which should be the number one concern for the Clippers.
0: So no option. Optimism from Clinton Yates. Israel
4: Gutierrez, how about you? I mean... It sounds like he's got a eulogy ready as well. And frankly, mm-hmm. he should. Because uh, Kawhi Leonard's days as a superstar seem to be over. And if you just look at the timeline of the knee injury, going back to San Antonio, to, to his knee injuries, going back to San Antonio until now, nothing gives you sort of the, the faith that he can recover enough. I know he did, obviously, for that one year in Toronto. But they were carefully taking care of him all the rest days in between in the regular season. And yet he was still basically playing on one leg at the end. Right now, he can't even get on the court for, you know, two, three games at a time. And so to have any sort of faith that he's going to not only be able to do that come March and April, but do that at a high enough level where he is the best player, better than Paul George, and this team mm. can be an, an NBA championship team, I mean, I think that day is, that day is long past.
0: So we're past optimism. We're, we're at pessimism now. Okay. <laughs> um, the return of Kawhi Leonard last night. Anything to see here, Sarah Spain?
1: Uh, he was, I believe, a plus 26. Mm -hmm. So if you're looking for some optimism, there's a little bit. Uh, The statistics weren't great. I think there's plenty of time left for him to ease back in. In a first game back on limited minutes, you don't expect him to come out and look like a superstar. But I agree with the other guys. I don't know if we'll ever see him be a superstar again. And something that Clinton said made me think. And that's when you have a guy like this who's consistently in and out, and when you've been told in the past that he has an outsized role in dictating practice times and what they're doing and all of that stuff as well, It gets really complicated in terms of trying to decide if you don't have him, move forward without him. Is he around and what kind of role does he play? Is he a true leader as both a basketball player and otherwise? I think that time has passed and it's really dragging them down to have to keep checking back in and out with him.
2: And Tim Callishaw. You know, I guess I'm a little more optimistic as I sit here in my old school Clippers colors. I'm not sure what that's about, but I would say this. They're a pretty good team team without him. Uh, they played a lot of basketball without him going back into the playoffs a year ago. uh, With George and Reggie Jackson and everybody they got, they're they're okay. So they can take their time. I think they will be a playoff team no matter how much he plays, and if they could get him back, to a decent level
0: to the playoffs. Once you get to the playoffs, you don't play back-to-back nights. You got to change. when Yates, 15. Israel Gutierrez, 12. Sarah Spain, 7. Tim Kalashaw, decked out in those 1991 Clippers. I mean, who are you? I, I, that's, that's whoever sold you that shirt Go has a walk. great per, uh, great sense of humor. That's that's
5: right. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> what are you talking Michael about? Michael Olomakandi
0: is with us We're in like Plasma like 2. The
5: Biebs. Too- Hello, Norm oh, Nixon. Around the Horn is presented by Crown Royal. Live generously and life will treat you royally. Please drink responsibly. Part of happy hour.
3: Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more.
5: Welcome back to Around the Horn, brought to you by Chase. Coming to you from the Seaport District at Pier 17.
0: This week in Cutter, fan videos of accommodations making the rounds that mm. seem to show a fire festival-ish vibe. A live Danish television news hit seemed to be shut down by a local authority. And inside 48 hours until gameplay, beer sales abruptly banned at game sites, reversing an agreement the dry kingdom of Qatar seemingly made with FIFA sponsors. None of those, of course, affect the gameplay. But two days from the start of the tournament, I wonder how you feel this World Cup might go. Clinton Yates, around the horn to you. You know, we
3: can start with the general situation, the humanitarian crisis that brought this World Cup there to begin with in terms of how all the stadiums were constructed and everything that happened around that, but the biggest point of concern for me is this. The rules of engagement on the ground in Qatar have changed, and that has to be scary for anybody that's a part of such a large you know, large operation in terms of what the World Cup is. If they can change this rule, well then what other rules could they possibly change? It should be noted as well that this is for hoi polloi fans. If you were sitting in a luxury box, they have described the situation as available with Custom sommeliers to give you whatever you want. This isn't a matter of cultural differences. This is a matter of money, and it's coming out very slimy in the wash right now for Doha. Tim Kalisha.
0: Yeah, I
2: think think we realize the societal things, which are much larger and were in place before the World Cup, will still be there after the World Cup. That's a much bigger ongoing story. But as you said in the opening, they seemingly had an agreement. If you're Budweiser and you paid millions to sponsor this, I think you would want more than seeming to have an agreement you can sell your product other than your non-alcoholic Bud Zero. That just I mean, uh, that just seems incredible to me. That's me.
1: Yeah, I mean, there are no good guys in this situation in my opinion, so when Qatar does this, they're saying, we're not going to bend to you. We have our cultural ideals. And when FIFA complains, you say to them, why did you give a World Cup to Qatar? Right. That, this is what's going to happen when you get funny money in order to send a World Cup to a place that shouldn't be hosting it. The fear is for those people there who would believe that there is an agreement, whether it has to do with LGBTQ plus fans or beer that they expected to be able to drink or somewhere that they expected to stay that would look different. I would be very scared if I was there that we are not playing by the rules of a normal World, world Cup, especially if things can change this quickly.
4: Is Gutierrez. Yeah, just starting with the beer element of it. I mean, this is one of, if arguably the greatest sporting event in the world, comes across every four years. Alcohol is obviously a big part of it, and fans enjoying it, you know, the way they can. And so, you know, interrupting the way they want to enjoy a, a tournament or, or a match or whatever, I think that's going to sort of linger for a while. I think in terms of money with Budweiser, if it affects any sort of uh, uh, sponsoring in the future, obviously, I think that's something FIFA should be concerned with. I just think that the main concern is now that you've got everybody in place and cut our Qatar is basically saying, okay, our rules are away regardless of whatever compromise we made uh, leading into it. You know, what things can change going forward? What can make some people who are there uncomfortable and, you know, feel like they're unsafe or, or what have you? And so I do think that, yeah, there's some concern there going forward about what how things are going to look as this tournament. Continues. Just so we're clear here, this is not about – this is about alcohol and this – micro-moment,
0: but this is not about alcohol. This is about the allegations of corruption and bribery that preceded this for nearly the last decade and how these games or this this tournament came to be played here. And this goes to the severe human rights violations and civil rights violations that have been reported long before and and currently. And the number, full stop, reported to be 6,500 workers whose lives were lost in the building of these stadiums, that is and will remain a story for these games. We'll move on. Preview extravaganza now for the games. Qatar versus Ecuador Sunday. Who ya got? Will the Qatari backline hold up against that potent Ecuadorian offense? Or big picture, Clint Yates. Who do you like as the favorite? Who do you like the surprise? <laughs>
3: more big picture. I like France. I know it's tough to repeat in this tournament, but when you've got Kylian and Karim, you've got a big shot. Otherwise, as far as surprises go, our neighbors to the north, the Canadians. My man Alfonso Davies coming off a little bit of an injury, but that team is inspired. Mm. I think they're going to surprise mm. a lot more people than people.
0: So Canada's surprise and no surprise, Clinton Yates with the beautiful dictation there of the names from France. I don't know. Maybe. No, maybe, maybe. Maybe not. I don't know. Kahim, how about you?
2: My pick is a borderline surprise, so it will encompass both. Give me the Netherlands coming out of Group A, mm-hmm. the brilliant Orange. Always a wonderful team to watch playing total football. And this time they finally come through and win. Do
0: it. I have this right? I, I feel like you have picked the Netherlands every year. We do a World Cup preview, Tim. Do I have this right? Possibly, including the year they weren't in it, yes. <laughs> Uh, I'm
1: going with the front runners Brazil they got a strong front they got a core that's been playing together forever they got the best goaltender in the world and Neymar despite his age has already said this is likely his last world cup so I think he wants to go out big
4: and of course goalkeeper and Israel Gutierrez how about you if I'm gonna go with the favorite, I'm gonna go with Brazil. Uh, but I do believe this is a tournament where you're going to get a surprise winner given sort of the elements, the timing of it all. And that surprise winner is gonna be Croatia. And here's where I get my points. You ready? I went to Croatia this summer. It was lovely. It was absolutely lovely. <laughs> and that's why I Beautiful think they're gonna win it.
0: <laughs> that's the analysis that we've come we've come here for. Nailed it. Yeah. Nailed it, you said? Yeah. And yeah. once again, to be clear, we can we can watch the games. You can enjoy the incredible athleticism and, and gameplay. I mean I think this is This is where we are in the world, but we also have to be aware of those stories we addressed previously. All right, Yates, that will be our showdown. Tim Kalashaw, Sarah Spain, have a wonderful weekend. Showdown
5: next. 10 seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships, your skills, your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? Around the Horn is presented by Crown Royal. Live generously and life will treat you royally. Please drink responsibly. Part of happy hour. Nets
0: 109, Blazers 107. A bounce back after the Kevin Durant call out. And look at Ben Simmons. Perfect shooting from the field. 15 points, 13. I mean, a double-double. I mean, what are we talking about here? And then Royce O'Neal, first ever triple-double. Game winner and a last-second tipping. Israel, what's the biggest brag?
4: Oh, it's Royce O'Neal. I mean, he got called out not by KD's burner account, but by actual KD, and then comes out and, <laughs> and has a triple-double and a game-winner in a game that they absolutely needed. Yeah, it's Royce you O'Neil. Why?
3: Yeah, it's not just a triple-double. They won the on game, to quote Herm Edwards. Getting that tip in, in traffic, heck of an athletic play, and the Nets are obviously at a
0: premium when it comes to victory. Okay, all that's true, but you guys rip Ben Simmons every time he goes out and doesn't do something. Yeah, last night he was great! He was great. He was fine. We'll move on. 11 straight wins for the hottest team in the NHL, the New Jersey Devils. And they needed each and every one of those wins to be the hottest team because the Boston Bruins, the heat of the flames of their start, still cooking. They're 15-2. and (laughs) So, Clinton, whose start means more?
3: Gotta be the Devils, man. Lindy Ruff's got this team playing. Jack Hughes is a household name right now. Not even Putty had them off to this good of a start. Their power play is on fire.
4: How? Bruins are 15-2 and 10-0 at home. They're frankly just the better team. So why is 11 wins in a row more impressive? It doesn't really make much sense to me. But... FaceTime is is Gutierrez. Logic worked out in this one. So I want to wish a happy birthday to Detroit Pistons rookie Jalen Durant. He was born 19 years ago today. He is 19 years old, which means, it already makes you feel old, he was born after LeBron James made his NBA debut. Absolutely mind-blowing. Shout out to what? Jamal Collier what? for starting his story on Jalen Durant on him on ESPN.com. Unbelievable facts. It's going to make you feel old for the rest of the day.
5: Today's champ, Gutierrez.
0: 71-half-hour break.